The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. I am professional wrestler Chris Rex, and if you're hearing my voice, that means you're listening to the Bear of Texas podcast. Soccer fans all over the world, it is time. It is time for another strong session of into the net FC. So, sit back, relax, and get ready for a wild ride where you will hear the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. The intensity on the pitch is about to go down. And here we go. Ladies and gentlemen, this is the Bear of Texas, and I'd like to proudly welcome you to another edition of Into the Net FC, the soccer talk segment of the Bear of Texas podcast, available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Spreaker, Google Podcasts, and YouTube. I'd like to proudly welcome back my good friend and mentor, reporting live from Los Angeles, California, Steve Adams. Steve Welcome back to the show, buddy. Good to be back, and all I can say is I'm having a better weekend than the city of Manchester. I think you're having a better weekend, not only than the city of Manchester, but Barcelona as well. Yeah, there, there's, there's a lot to talk about. There, there is an awful lot that went on in this last week since the last time we spoke last Sunday, so let's get to it. Well, first of all, I'm still amazed how the finish of Paris Saint-Germain and Atalanta went down. Because I said this on Twitter. I said this on Facebook. I said this to any sports writer that listened to me that never in a million years could I have ever anticipated such a finish. Because as we know, Steve, Paris Saint-Germain usually crumbles under pressure. But in this game, I'm going to say it like this. PSG looked at pressure and literally gave it the finger. Like, PSG showed no fear like they've never shown fear before. It seems like they made the pressure fear them. Well, it was a very entertaining game. Mario Pasolic got an early goal off a really pretty movement uh, in the box early on for Atalanta. And um, 
you know, Neymar had several gift-wrapped chances at goal that he was squandered early on in the first half and early in the second half. So it was looking like, you know, is this going to be, you know, the same mojo again for Paris Saint-Germain, who the last seven times they've made either the round of 16 or the quarterfinals, they've come up short. It's very difficult because I was watching the game. I watched every second of it, and I utilized my very usual psychological evaluation mode. Like, I was not only watching the game as a fan, but I was watching it as a sports writer, and I was examining everything that Paris Saint-Germain was doing. And when Neymar had that golden opportunity early in the game when it was just him and the goalkeeper and he did not get it through, I figured that's where the pressure is going to start crumbling. But PSG just kept threatening and threatening and threatening, but they just could not pull through. And the way this game goes, Atalanta had the lead for a majority of the game, and Atalanta did not park the bus. They continually tried to double their lead, but they too could not do it. While that was a bit fortunate for les Parisiens, at the same time, the fact that they could not provide an answer was simply meaningless. Well, the Costa Rica Navis came up with some really huge uh, stops early on in the first half. Um, so he was monstrous uh, to keep PSG in the game. And for a little bit, it looks like they, they might have had to take him out of the game. He had a leg injury. But uh, he was able to stay in the game. But uh, when uh, Thomas Tuchel, the PSG coach, when he put Mbappe on in the 60th minute, uh, he had an instantaneous effect on the game going down uh, the left flank. Bringing Mbappe really was a blessing. And I have to talk about Kylian Mbappe because in in the days and weeks coming into that game, I was strongly recommending that even if he is cleared to play, it is in the best uh, for him and the club that, for safety reasons, he does not play. And it was actually 24 hours before the game that Thomas Tuchel announced that Kylian Mbappe had been medically cleared. And you made the prediction, Steve. You actually, when I uh, shared that, you you actually told me that it's very likely that Mbappe will be on the bench and will be brought on as a substitute. So I have to applaud you for that, Steve, because you called it, and you were absolutely right. And not only are you right about that, but like you just said, Mbappe sparked the offense because, as we know, he provided the assist in the game-winning goal. Well, it was just massive. And, I mean, Tuchel really, that was his really last chance roll of the dice because he didn't have... Angel Di Maria, the Argentine, was not available uh, for this game. He was suspended. Uh, he was suspended. So the good news is for PSG, he will be around for the game against Leipzig in the semi. So that's the good news for, for Tuchel. But, it'll, uh, it'll be better if Marco Verratti is, is good to go as well. But as far as that goes, I'm still not sure. But Neymar had a key goal. Even if Neymar didn't score, he certainly had uh, a key role in both goals, and especially the game-winning goal. That was just simply a sublime ball that he fed to Mbappe on the left, and then Mbappe's center to uh, the Cameroonian, Chupomoteng, was just slide rule perfect uh, to Barry in the 95th minute. So uh, credit, credit to Neymar for shrugging off those earlier misses and, you know, still playing a a huge role in PSG's win against Atalanta. 
it's unbelievable. And here's a fact, folks, that is really impressive. It's the first time that Les Parisiens have reached the semifinals of a Champions League since the 1994-1995 tournament. So at this point, I mean, they were saying the curse is broken, but I would say, honestly, the curse will be broken if they secure the title, which they really have a golden chance of doing, but we'll get to that in a bit. The biggest thing out of this game, I mean, this is this was actually after the result of the uh, Lyon-Manchester City game, which we'll also get to later. Kylian Mbappe took to Twitter and really laughed at the critics who have been calling League One as, quote, Farmer's League. So I'd like to get your thoughts on that, Steve. Well, League I don't know, is very, very much maligned, to, to be sure. But people also forget, too, that... Uh, the French League One, just like the Portuguese League, they're producing an awful lot of talent that's ending up in big clubs. You know, a lot of the a lot of the French, a lot of the African or Belgian players who've been able to make that jump to the EPL, like uh, Aiden Hazard, uh, for example, uh, he comes immediately to mind. You know, they got their their playing time in the French League. Uh, they haven't had a ton of luck. Uh, a few years ago, Monaco, that uh, was a team that Mbappe was also playing on, they made a nice deep run into the semifinals of the Champions League, too, to get beat by Juventus in the semis. But uh, it's, it's certainly some redemption for, for Ligue 1. Definitely kind of a, a tough week for uh, the EPL. Uh, Wolves got knocked out in the quarters by Seville. Uh, Seville also this today knocked out Manchester United in the semifinals of the Europa League. This loss by Man City against Lyon, I mean, crushing defeat, huge upset. But to, to be really honest with you, I think that Pep Guardiola just flat out got uh, coached yesterday. He did, and we'll get uh, we'll get to that as we wrap up the Atalanta and PSG game. Uh, here's a couple of facts about it too. Neymar completed a total of 16 dribbles, which is the most by any player in in a, excuse me in Champions League history since Lionel Messi did that against Manchester United back in April of 2008. And here's what's so amazing is that the two goals that PSG scored were just 149 seconds apart. I mean, Mbappe, uh, like Messi, he like Lionel Messi. He's just a player that just has to be a nightmare for defenders coming at him with the ball because, you know, he could beat you on the dribble. He could beat you with just plain speed. Uh, Mbappe's pace is just breathtaking. But, you know, his skill with the ball, ball at, ball at foot, is just uh, really a marvel to behold as well. I mean, there's just so many ways to describe Mbappe. I mean, critics have him as the next Thierry Henry but as far as that goes, at the end of the day, it's a comparison is, sim- is merely just an opinion. So at the end of the day, comparing Mbappe to Thierry Henry really has no meaning. And personally, I mean, Thierry Henry gave this advice to Mbappe: Don't worry about being the next me. We're, just be, the, you know, your, just be the, the, you know, yourself. Because, and he explained, he, he explained to Mbappe that if you let that get in your head, you'll be distracted and you're not going to accomplish what you desire. They're very different players. I mean, Terry Henry had just silky, silky skills. But the one thing that Mbappe has, even even as as fast as Henry was, 
I think Mbappe has even more pace uh, than Terry Henry. So, uh, but he's he is just absolutely a joy to behold. He has, and you no, know, just like Henri, he began his career at Monaco. So now we get to RP Leipzig versus Atletico Madrid. Steve, I can honestly say the final results of this game put a smile on your face. It put a smile on my face for several reasons. Number one, I, I really hate the way that Diogo Simeone, you talk about the classic boring, park the bus, zero imagination, just deflate the life out of the game. Diego Simeone plays a game that, he coaches a game that's darker than the black suits that he wears. So <laughs> for that, I was, was really glad to see Atletico lose, but the fact that uh, an American, Tyler Adams, was able to score the winning goal for Leipzig, and you know, granted it, it was a little bit of a fortuitous uh, deflection, but he had the space, uh, Tyler Adams had came on as a, as a midfield substitute later in the game. Uh, Atletico did not close him down. They gave him plenty of room to shoot. He teed off, had enough pace on the ball. And, you know, sometimes you have to create your own luck. But huge win for Leipzig. Uh, it's a team that in Germany a lot of German fans don't really like because it's not a traditional club. They consider it a new money, a nouveau riche club. But, you know, they just... I, I really like the result. I like how Leipzig plays the game. I think they they try to play some entertaining ball. Guy that I feel really sorry for for Atletico Madrid. They've got a Portuguese player named Juan Felix, who is I think by far and away the most talented player on the Atletico Madrid, and I think his skills are just wasted uh, in Simeone's bunker style mentality of soccer. It is, and you know, we've said this many times that when you have super talented players, and when the, those players' skills do not fit the formation and tactics of a coach, it, it's what you just described, Steve. It leads to quote wasted talent. It leads to so many what ifs, and at the end of the day, it's heartbreaking for sports writers because we could have written a fantastic story, but the fact is, is that how things get ruined like that, it has a huge effect on all of us. A lot of young talent in this game. Leipzig, the guy who scored their first goal, um, Danny Olmo, he's a 22-year-old Spaniard who uh, scored a really nice header for Leipzig's first goal. He's a young international for Spain as well. He has a very, very bright future. So uh, Leipzig has some really, really good young players. It'll make really an interesting matchup in the semifinal with PSG. It has, and... I didn't actually watch this game, but, you know, the first half was basically kind of quiet. It wasn't until the 50th minute, R.P. Leipzig takes the lead, and then uh, about 21 minutes later, Atletico Madrid uh, equalized. Uh, you know, it's the guy you just you just uh, said. Uh, I, I'm not able how to pronounce his name, but it was off of a penalty. And then not, all, not long after, you know, in the closing minutes, you know, Adams, you know, seals the deal, and, and that was it. I mean... I don't know for sure what happened to Atletico Madrid because, you know, since I didn't watch this game, I honestly don't have much saying. But a couple of facts as I looked up is Danny Olmo has been directly involved in four goals in his last five Champions League appearances, which is a total of three goals and one assist. 
and Kieran Trippier, who plays for Atletico Madrid, is just the fourth different English player to start a Champions League quarterfinal with a non-English club. The other guys would be David Beckham, who did it with Real Madrid and Paris Saint-Germain, Owen Hargreaves with Bayern Munich, and Steve McNanaman, also with Real Madrid. Yep, former Liverpool great Steve McManaman. Yep, he ended up winning a couple of uh, Champions League titles uh, with Real Madrid. See, and Tyler Adams' strike was his first ever goal for RP Leipzig. I mean, what a way to get your first ever goal, huh? Timing is everything. They really have been trying to find a role for Tyler Adams on that team. They've tried him in a few different positions, but uh, but he has very good pace. He's very very hard worker extremely hard-working, very, very conscientious young man. And uh, I think uh, he, he seems to be developing in Germany quite well. Mm-hmm. He may be going on the same path as uh, Christian Pulisic. I think, you, I think you, have to, you have to wonder that. Pulisic was scoring a few more goals uh, for, for Dortmund, but, uh, but Adams certainly has a, a, a serious upside. So I'm uh, glad to see an American player uh, play such a, a key role in a team making it to the semifinals of the Champions League. Absolutely. Let me see. Now things get really interesting, Steve, because now we are to the clash between Barcelona and Bayern Munich. Boy, oh boy, oh boy. We've been saying this for weeks, Steve, that this is the worst Barcelona team in over 10 years. And to finish out the season this way is absolutely the ultimate insult. But what's also not only, which not only adds uh, insult to injury, but the fact that Philippe Coutinho added two goals to just increase the lead, well, that does not look well for Barcelona. A lot of talking points to this game. Um, former uh, player for Bayern Munich, uh, Arturo Vidal, um, Chilean player, uh, he was basically talking some serious smack, uh, saying they are playing against Barca, not against teams from the Bundesliga. They are playing against the best team in the world. So uh, Bayern Munich... Uh, took that clip that uh, clipboard material to heart and uh, they just they ran roughshod over them and the the, the results of the loss uh, multifold uh, Setien he's gonna get the boot at as coach at Barcelona I mean that was a foregone conclusion that was going to happen anyway there's now talk of uh, former Barcelona great and Dutch great Ron Coleman there's some talk of him taking over at Barcelona, but now even the other big rumor to hit is that Messi wants out. He absolutely wants out. This was this was the last straw, and now there's talk about uh, Man City possibly trying to get Messi to come over to the Etihad. But uh, he is he is pretty well done with this shit show that has uh, come to pass with Barcelona. Honestly, I don't blame Lionel Messi for being angry because the truth is he has every right to be, Steve. And what makes me personally feel bad for him is that when he's put in situations where he has to carry the team and and it all fails, 
critics, I mean, a lot of fans will blame him. And that bothers me because as a sports writer, I say a team wins as a team. No player should ever, ever have to carry the team. Cristiano Ronaldo should never have to carry Portugal. Zinedine Zidane should never have had to carry France. The list goes on. It's a team sport, just like in rugby, just like in baseball, basketball. The top star, as famous and talented as he is, as great as he is on the pitch, he has to have the help and support of his teammates because it's all about teamwork. And the fact that the rumors that he wants to leave is amazing because it's also rumored that Cristiano Ronaldo wants out of Juventus. And there was some talk that there was a possibility that Barcelona was going to bring in Cristiano Ronaldo because a lot of sources were teasing Ronaldo and Messi both together in a Barcelona jersey. That, that'll, that'll never happen. And, you know, you talk about the, the teamwork aspect with uh, Bayern Munich. And, I mean, they're kind of an interesting story as well. I mean, they had a, a new coach that took over in, um, in November. They hadn't started out all that great, and then they got a new goaltender, or excuse me, they got a new coach. The other day against uh, Barcelona, the Canadian left back, Alfonso Davies, this Canadian kid, he's only 19 years old, and he has just absolutely incredible pace and just unreal speed. He had a key role in setting up uh, Camacho's goal that was the fifth goal on the day for, for Bayern. But uh, Hansi Flick, he's made a real team over there in Bavaria, and this was a team that prior to this there had been a lot of sniping and moaning and bitching in the clubhouse and uh, people going to social media and all that. Well, Hansi has put a total kibosh on that. This team has now won 31 of 34 games since Hansi Flick has taken over. Bundesliga champs. Uh, Deutsche Pokal or German Cup champs and they have a very very good chance strongly determined to do it again at this point they're more than the favorites because but at the same time I don't think they're going to crush their way to the final but we'll get to that in a little bit a couple things about this game Thomas Mueller who scored two goals in this game made his 113th Champions League appearance which is now the outright most of any German player in the comp in the competition's history. And see, and the, and, the, and the last guy who had 112 was a certain Philippe Lam, and then his and his fellow uh, international teammate Manuel Neuer has 109, and then Tony Cruz and the great Oliver Kahn are both at 103. So uh, congratulations to Thomas Mueller, and he has also about speaking of Mueller. He has scored five goals in five appearances against Barcelona in the Champions League. So I guess we can say Thomas Müller really, uh, he really had cha- uh, Barcelona all figured out. <laughs> well, he's and you mentioned some of those names that he surpassed as far as uh, games in the Champions League. Those those are also pretty good names. That's very good company to belong to. See, and Barcelona's conceding of four goals in the first half was actually the first time in their history where they actually did that. <laughs> it was it, it was an incredible game. I mean, eight to two. It's it's just not something that you're used to. Barcelona, you know, playing wonderful football and scoring uh, hatfuls of goals, but for them to be on the receiving end of such a beatdown, 
it was pretty incredible and uh, it, like we talked about a few minutes ago I mean the effects are just massive in managerial end and then the player end it's it's almost impossible to imagine Lionel Messi playing in a different color shirt other than the Barcelona jersey because he's been there he's he's been wearing Barcelona colors ever since he came over to Barcelona as a teenager Barcelona is pretty much his home away from home. It's his home away from his native Argentina. Yeah, I mean, it's just, it'll be interesting to see if he really does end up with uh, Manchester City. Well, if you thought those facts I just told you were were amazing, there's, you know, this is is nothing. Check this out. Barcelona have conceded five goals in a European match for the first time since 1976. But Steve, it only gets better because check this out. Their conceding of seven goals in a match was the first time since 1949. Yeah, I mean, like I said, just coughing up eight goals, even against a really good team like Bayern Munich, I just think... I, I think it was beyond just Byron having some some skill. I think Byron uh, really wanted to give a lesson, uh, especially after Vidal was, you know, talking smack the, the entire week before the game. And here's what I have to say about Arturo Vidal's choice: never trash talk before a game, no matter what the circumstances, because the truth is, once the final game whistle is blown, if you have not won the game. There's no point of you saying anything. It's the same thing for me. Like as a sports writer, I always say this. Do not make predictions that you cannot back up. And the reason why I say that is because as all of you know, the kind of sports sports writer that I am, I always put facts in my story. I do my research. I have my evidence to back up my claims. So for me to go out, you know, for you to trash talk and really and know you're going to get your, your butt kicked, you know, you, you're getting humiliated. I mean, I cannot imagine how humiliated Arturo Vidal is feeling. But at the end of the day, I should not feel bad for him. It's his fault. He made the choice to trash talk, and he has ultimately paid for it. And now he's humiliated. Can't feel, you know, have no, you know, no, no bad, no bad feelings about it because, you know, Steve. I mean, I'm sure you agree. At the end of the day, it's his fault, right? No, no question. Yeah, I mean, I get it. Trash talking is part of the game. But, you know, I was, I mean, this is not really a joke, but I can always say, look, we're not all Michael Jordan. We're not all going to trash talk and still manage to get the win. But at the end of the day, still, if you want to trash talk before the game and then you turn out to have a bad game, well, the joke is on you. Before we move on to the next game, I wanted to uh, take a little bit of time, Steve, and talk about what if Ronaldo had actually gone to Barcelona. Because if he had, you want to know what, what it would remind me of? Go. It would remind me of when Luis Figo went to Real Madrid. And I'm sure this is something you remember very well. I mean, I was talking to my dad about this earlier. And when he saw those rumors, he said, if, if you think what happened to Figo was bad, if Ronaldo goes to Barcelona, it's only going to be worse. Well, you just... I, the idea of Cristiano Ronaldo ending up in Catalonia wearing a Barcelona jersey, I just, I just don't ever see that happening. You know, I guess never say never, but uh, but I think just for a combination of things, I think all of those years of play for Real Madrid when uh, Barcelona was the all enemy, 
But I just think at at this point in Cristiano Ronaldo's career, does he really need the level of aggravation that he would be going with while Barcelona tries to sort things out um, in their front office, sort things out behind the bench, sort things out as far as uh, players? Um, because there's there's clearly clearly a lot of holes. So I I would be shocked if he were to end up there. I could see Cristiano Ronaldo ending up more in a better situation like PSG than ending up in Barcelona. Very good point, Steve. And in my case, the question I would have to most sports sports writers and critics is this: at this, like I mentioned, at this point of Ronaldo's career, what really does he have left to prove? He's won it all. He's won the Champions League numerous times. He's broken records. He's made a difference on the pitch. I mean, at this point, he still has passion for the game, but he does. he's not under pressure to win any more titles. I mean, I'm not saying he should not have to go win more titles. I mean, winning a title is part of the game. It's part of the passion. But if people are pressuring him saying he should still go out there and win because he needs to win more to prove himself, that's totally out of line. He's done it all. He's proved everything. There's nothing left for him to prove. The list of accomplishments to say that it's endless would be a major understatement. So at this point of his career, Ronaldo just, you know, relax, play soccer, go out in style. Nothing else. He's, he's done it all at the club level. I mean, really, the only, the only major achievement that he has not done is that he has not won a FIFA World Cup. He's won a European Nations trophy with Portugal, but with the Portuguese national team has not won a World Cup. That's that's really the only significant honor that he has fallen short in his career. And, you know, like I said, he, he's won everything else. He hasn't, you know, and it happens. Like, there's a certain, you know, soccer hero. He's going to have more success playing with his domestic club than playing with his uh, national team. It's, you know, it's unfortunate. I mean, guys like Zidane, you know, who won the World Cup, you know, who won all the titles, you know, representing Real Madrid and representing his home country of France. But at the same time, not everybody can have that same amount of luck. But for me, Ronaldo did not does not have to win a World Cup to prove just how amazing he is because he's done it all. He's, you know, the, the kind of person that he is, you know, he's a nice guy. And, you know, it's a difference that it's not only the difference that he makes on the pitch, Steve, it's the difference that he makes within the community. And I have a lot of respect for Ronaldo. Well, he's certainly a much beloved figure on the the island of Madeira, where he was born and where he spent his spent his youth. Um, in Portugal, uh, his country. I mean, he's he's a god. So, uh, and by by all accounts, uh, he seems to be you know just really. Uh, very approachable, especially with uh, with young fans. He seems to remember what it's like to to be a kid and um, be in awe of uh, of adult players. So um, so yeah, uh, I just we'll we'll see where he ends up if he really does indeed leave Juventus. Well, if PSG is where he ends up, well, we'll all react to that when it happens, and I'm sure we'll be on here. We'll talk about it. Now we get to. A very amazing and astonishing game. Ladies and gentlemen, Steve, we are at Manchester City versus Olympique Lyonnais, the club of my hometown, Lyon, France. Une ville qui est hyper belle, je la manque beaucoup. 
Well, it, Lyon, the first thing you think of Lyon, it's the, it's the center for French gastronomy. Um, in a country that appreciates food, you know, Lyon is certainly much more known for uh, haute cuisine than it is for, for soccer. But uh, I, I certainly did not see Lyon beating Manchester City, especially with that scoreline of 3-1, to one, uh, which is... A, a highlight, Steve. And when they show Pep Guardiola after the game-winning goal, actually, this was actually not the game-winning goal. This is when Raheem Sterling missed the open net. You remember the reaction? He sat down and the way he drank the water, the look on his eyes? Well, that tells the story. That's when he knew he had been more than simply outcoached. He had absolutely been humiliated. I mean, and, and it's interesting, too, because during the game, the cameras were showing a lot of pictures of uh, Rudy Garcia, the, the Spanish manager. Spanish, Spanish last name, but uh, he actually, uh, he's actually from France. He's yes, from he North. He was feverishly uh, scribbling away his notebook during during the game. But, you know, the the game plan worked. Maxwell Cornet uh, from the Ivory Coast scores a great goal in the the twenty fourth minute, but. Part of the reason that he was able to score that that goal was that in the build-up to that goal, the Manchester City defense was just really slow in uh, converging onto the ball, and I could not believe the the defensive uh, posture. It was a very very conservative defensive posture that Pep Guardiola decided to go with against Lyon. Uh, he went with a three-man central defense, and he left a lot of his best creative players on the bench, uh, which was was just a, a head-scratcher to me. It seems that the quarterfinals of the Champions League has become a curse for Pep Guardiola, especially with him being in charge of Manchester City, because he Manchester City has reached the quarterfinals for the fourth time in the last five seasons, except for 2016-2017, which that year they were knocked down the first round by Monaco, if I'm correct. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's all of a sudden, I mean, they've lost in the quarterfinals. It's not just a simple loss, Steve. It's in heartbreaking and humiliating fashion. That's why I describe the situation as a curse. Well, I don't know about that. I think, I think, I think Pep just kind of partially created his own bad luck, but let's not forget, too, I mean, in the second half, uh, Man City was controlling play, you know, the Leo goalkeeper was having an absolutely fantastic day, but then after Sterling's incredible miss on an open net, almost immediately, Leon comes back and ends up scoring the goal to make it 3-1, to one if if he buries that goal, it's it's a tie game. So, it, in a span of about a minute, Manchester City goes from tying the game up and they're playing on the front foot to all of a sudden they're down three to one, and you know with 13 minutes left to play to try to get two goals. I don't know if this is the right thing to say, but it seems like Manchester City crumbled a bit under pressure. Is that? Do you, do you believe that happened? I think you have. I 
I think you have to say that. There, there's just no no other way you could really say that. Um, I mean, you know, Lyon produced a result that was much, much better than the sum of its parts. I mean, let's not forget. I mean, this was a team that was in seventh place in France when uh, French Liga locked things down for the coronavirus. So, you know, Lyon was not even going to play European football next year. The only way they're going to play European ball is if somehow if Lyon can run the table, if they can do a third surprise in a row and beat Bayern Munich and then win the final. That's the only way they're going to be playing European football. But I think, too, uh, for Lyon, give mad props to the, the Portuguese goaltender, Lopez. He just played absolutely... Uh, a fantastic game he did and Lyon is just playing so amazingly as a team and I want to take you Steve and uh, our loyal listeners and followers on a little history lesson lesson considering concerning Lyon excuse me I mean Mike Simon's hammering my way of speaking Lyon has had success in League One because from the 2001-2002 season to 2007-2008 Lyon won seven consecutive League One titles. And folks, that, that's not what makes this interesting. Lyon has been in the semifinals before, 10 years ago. They were in the Final Four 10 years ago, where, believe it or not, they lost to Bayern Munich. And ironically, they played Bayern Munich in the semifinals. So this is Lyon's chance for revenge for what happened 10 years ago. And this is Lyon's big chance to just making such an amazing impact. I mean, the let's take a look at the final four, Steve. It's kind of amazing. There's 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 only a, no there's German clubs and there's French clubs. There's no Spanish or English clubs or Italian clubs. That's something you do not see often, right? I think I'd heard I think I heard it said during the broadcast yesterday that there had never been a final four without an Italian, Spanish, or English team. I want to say since like 1992. So uh, that's a long time. I mean, it is a long time. I mean, I don't want to make you feel old, but this is that—that that was before I was born. <laughs> right, right. No, it's an—it's an incredibly long time ago. The, the last time that that this has happened, and um, you know, especially the the way with the the modern game and stuff. Um, you know, you, you're not as expecting to see so many surprises, but I also think too, with the current, with this post-COVID format of no home and away game, where it's a it's a one match winner take all in the quarterfinals, uh, you certainly do have more of a chance of an upset. Although, in fairness to Lyon, uh, they did defeat Juventus over a two leg tie. And then they shocked Man City yesterday. So, I mean, they've already defied logic just even getting to this point. And I, I just don't see Bayern Munich underestimating them. But I also don't think that they're going to take a conservative approach to the game. Certainly not as conservative a uh, game plan as what Pep Guardiola bought out yesterday. No, I mean, Lyon, the, ma- the management of Lyon, I mean, the manager... Okay, for them to eliminate Juventus and Manchester City is absolutely unheard of. Lyon has earned their respect. 
And I think that they are more than capable of challenging Bayern Munich. I mean, I know that Bayern Munich is looking at Lyon and they're saying, wow, even we can't take these guys seriously. Lyon has proved a point that if you are not prepared, if you underestimate your opponent, you will pay the ultimate price in a heartbreaking and humiliating fashion. And in this tournament, Lyon has just made an example, more than an example out of that. And going back, this is actually the first time since the 1995-1996 uh, tournament that no English or Spanish sides will be present in the semifinals. But uh, if you add the Italian, uh, adding the uh, Italian one as well, yeah, you were right. It was it was 1992. And then in the other semifinal, I mean PSG would be considered the favorite over Leipzig just because of the international class of players they have as far as Neymar and Bappe. Uh, they'll have Di Maria back. But, uh, you know, those plucky kids with Leipzig, uh, they've defied logic too. Uh, they were able to survive trench warfare against... Uh, you know, a Diego Simeone team, a guy who can suck the life out of out of a game, and you know, it'll. I think I think both semifinals should be very entertaining. I don't think I don't anticipate any parking of the bus. I think these will be fairly fairly wide open games, and I will say too, for for the most part, I think the quarterfinals were fairly. They were all dramatic, um, and they were very fairly entertaining games. Oh, absolutely. And here's something else. Um, the 2019-2020 Champions League semifinals with two French teams and two German clubs to compete for the, the spot in the final, it's the first time since the 2012-2013 season that there were just two nations representing at this stage. Because, uh, actually, believe, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but when Bayern Munich won it back in 2013, they beat Borussia Dortmund in the final, and that's where Jurgen Klopp was managing Dortmund. Am I correct? Yeah, yeah, it started sort of that, that string of initially some bad uh, cup final results, uh, which was kind of an albatross around Jurgen Klopp's neck for quite a while until Liverpool won the Champions League last year. But yeah, you know, two French and two German teams, you know, who who would have thought it? I mean, just like the, the outcome of the PSG Atlanta game, I never would have anticipated that. I mean, even if I were to even try to lie and say that I did, you could just easily spot the lying in the tone of my voice, and that would be humiliating. And <laughs> it's just, you know, imagine this. Imagine if it was Lyon versus Les Parisiens in the final. Just imagine the impact and the influence it would make on French football. And you know what? Speaking of Lyon, Moussa Dembele scoring those two goals. I hope Didier Deschamps watched that game because I think Moussa Dembele should be considered a, should be considered for a call up for Les Bleus in the present future. Well, and talking about Les Bleus players, uh, defender Pavard, Pavard, he'll be he had missed the quarterfinal against Barcelona for Bayern Munich. Well, the French defender will be back for Bayern Munich in that semifinal against Lyon, so that's not an inconsequential thing either for, for Bayern Munich. Oh, you, you know something, Steve? I totally forgot that Benjamin Pavard had an injury. Totally forgot. But, but yeah, he missed that, but uh, he'll be back out at his right-back spot um, for the semis. All right. 
maybe we'll see him uh, show off that golden foot of his again. But he does have a howitzer. <laughs> I mean, that goal against Argentina, still full vision in my head, and I always say it's a joke. If there was no net, that ball would still be flying today. Well, it was arguably the goal. It was arguably the goal of that World Cup in Russia two years ago. I mean, it's not only the goal of that tournament, but it's it's going to be considered one of the greatest goals in World Cup history. So, now that we've wrapped up the quarterfinals, it's time for us to make our predictions on the final four, Steve. So, tell me, Steve, who do you have? What What are your expectations and predictions for Les Parisiens versus RB Leipzig? I think PSG just has too much talent. They did a serious gut check. They came from off the deck, down one zip in the dying minutes of a game that they looked like they were going to fritter away. They were able to get off the deck, and they were able to come back and get a win against a a really plucky, offensive-minded, really fun team to watch in Atlanta. But I I think PSG takes Leipzig in their semifinal, and I think... I think Cinderella's coach is going to turn into a pumpkin this time for Lyon. I just don't see them getting a third shock result in a row against Bayern Munich. I think I think Bayern Munich wins this game. I agree with you, Steve, but my prediction in, the, in this one um, for Bayern Munich, I think it's going to be a respectable... It's going to be a, a losing effort for Lyon. They're not going to lose badly. They're going to put up... It's going to be a losing effort. I, I think... Bayern Munich wins 3-2. to Because as dangerous as Bayern Munich is and as tough as they are, especially on defense, Lyon has proved that point I was talking about earlier. That if you're focused, if you're ready to go, if you're playing good football, you are more than capable of beating a giant. And Lyon, who, who has beaten Juventus and Manchester City in games that I like to call a David versus Goliath situation... For Lyon to do it not once but twice, at this point, they are fearless. Like, they are willing to go to Bayern Munich's face and say, show me, show me what you got, tough guy. And Bayern Munich's really going to say, okay, well, be careful what you wish for. But at the end of the day, I still think no matter who wins, it's not going to be an easy game win. I mean, there's no such thing, Steve, as easy wins. When people say that they're going to easily beat them, it's just absolutely wrong to say because people were saying that about Juventus against Lyon. They were even saying that about Manchester City versus Lyon. And look what happened. That's solidarity proof. There's no such thing as an easy win. And that's in any sport. But I'm going to stick with my prediction. I think Bayern Munich wins 3-2. Lyon goes out, but with their heads up. And at this point, they have earned their respect. So no matter what happens, they deserve an applaud. They've done great. And I think their future is going to be bright, even though they're not likely to play European football next year. At least there's a future ahead of them. Now, I get to Paris Saint-Germain, les Parisiens. Well, you're right. The talent they have is pretty overwhelming, especially for RP Leipzig. But we've spoken about this before. There's the pressure, but there's also the mentality. And as I mentioned earlier, the pressure that I was talking about PSG looked at it and gave it the finger. And believe it or not, even though RP Leipzig is not as strong as PSG, I mean, PSG is obviously the heavy favorite, there's still pressure on PSG because of that mentality. So if PSG comes in focused, ready to go, they don't make mistakes, they play sublime football, 
they are perfectly capable of get, taking care of business and they can compete to win their first uh, Champions League title. And I believe they'll be the first team to go. They'll be, they'll be the first French team to make it to the final since 2004 when Monaco went, where they lost to Porto. That's right, and no French, no other French team has won the Champions League since Marseille back in 1993. If Paris Saint Germain does win the title, I really wonder how Marseille fans are going to feel. Part of me says they really won't care. Or maybe they'll just say, well, you have one, we have one. Who cares? I, I think I can speak for most Marseille fans is that I, even, even though it would be another French club, even though it's important for French football to have another team win the Champions League, I just would be very, very hard-pressed to imagine any Marseille fan rooting for, rooting for Paris. I think, I think they're all going to be rooting for Leipzig, and I think if they get by Leipzig... I I don't know so much if they they're rooting for uh, the German clubs, but I think they'd be uh, hoping that PSG falls on their face. Well, anything can happen, but my final prediction is this: PSG wins three to one, and Mbappe scores two goals. We will see to be played out next weekend. It will be well. It'll be played. Uh, the Champions League final is seven days from today. PSG will play RP Leipzig in about 48 hours. And the next game, should we take a look right here? Actually, yes, on the 18th, RP Leipzig will play Paris Saint-Germain, 2 o'clock my time, noon your time, Steve. And Olympique Lyonnais will play Bayern Munich in three days, same time. And it's down to four. I mean, what became so many teams? What's been a major surprise of a knockout stage? It's close to coming to an end, which is honestly heartbreaking. But you know what? I was so blessed to have soccer back. It is great to see the game back. And it's great to see all the drama. And um, it's it's really too bad that these games that are being played in Lisbon in two fantastic stadiums, by the way. Um, I actually saw a Benfica game at the Stadio da Luz. 10 years ago where Benfica plays. It's a wonderful stadium, and I've been to the outside, and I've been to the sporting fan store at the Jose Alvide uh, Stadium where they're also playing the games in Lisbon. So they got these two absolute gem stadiums that they're playing ball in, but it's just too bad that there's no fans. That's, that's the one thing that's just really... Uh, it's very sad to have these games played out in, in empty stadiums it is, it is sad but at least the game is happening and the show the show is still continuing in a sense but at the end I'm just glad that at least what was started is going to finish so now that we've wrapped up Champions League talk in this episode we have two requests this week Steve request number one from our same anonymous supporter that's the way I have to address him by because I know he puts his request and then he deletes it which is so weird he wanted us to talk about our favorite World Cup moments and request number two which is by a, a sports writer that I follow uh, is actually he wanted us to give our thoughts of when in the uh, 2019 FIFA Women's World Cup when the USA was playing England in the semifinal England was awarded a penalty this was late in the game and England missed it when Alyssa Nair saved it so we're going to go ahead and give our thoughts on that. But we're going to go ahead and start with our favorite World Cup moments. Steve, 
since you're the guest, I'm gonna let I'm gonna let you go ahead and go first. So take it away, buddy. Well, I'll go two parts on this. Best World Cup game I've ever seen was still the semifinal from the 82 World Cup in Spain between um, what was then West Germany and France. Uh, high drama, great players, controversy, fantastic players playing at an unbelievable high level in brutal heat in Seville, Spain. Um, I still think that's the best. It's definitely the best World Cup match I've ever seen. I think my favorite World Cup memory is probably from 2010, uh, from the World Cup in South Africa, last game of group play with the U.S. against Algeria, and a game that Algeria had to win. And to add to the intrigue on this game, my dad was having open heart surgery on the same day, so in the waiting room in the hospital, they have this U.S.-Algeria game on. And then when um, Landon Donovan scores that late winner so that the U.S. can at least get out of group play and get to the round of 16 with uh, Ian Dark's incredible uh, commentary on the game that was uh, on ESPN at the time. So it was, it was a great win, but it was also a day where, you know, my dad had successful open-heart surgery that day as well, too. So for me, that was pretty unforgettable. Okay. Absolutely well said, and I do remember that game very well. I mean, the 2010 World Cup was not so ha- was not so thrilling for me after we you know what happened with Les Bleus, but at least Landon Donovan sparked a little bit of uh, hope for me. But so for me, well, my favorite World Cup moment. That's that's honestly tough because I've only been around for one, two, three, four, five World, six actually, six World Cups total. My first World Cup was the 1998 World Cup. And it happened not long after I moved here to the United States from France. My family and I, we were living in an apartment. We had, uh, my dad, you know, was, uh, had, you know, was just still, you know, getting settled, you know, with his big opportunity in the United States. But he was doing really well, and we were living a happy life, although we were missing France. But I remember watching the entire tournament, like, even, even my dad, because my dad had a strict rule of soccer, especially for himself. He always found the time to watch the game. Whatever he had to do in the, in the day that there was a big game, he got up early and did it. He did not want to miss a single minute of the action. So that tournament was held in France. France would go on to win it. But I have to say, my favorite... Uh, my favorite moment in World Cup soccer is not from that tournament, even though France won, and that, that's when Zidane, you know, officially became my childhood and personal hero. And, you know, there was the famous semifinal versus Croatia where Lilian Thuram scored those two goals. But my favorite World Cup moment has to be the quarterfinals game in 2006, France versus Brazil, because Zizou, my hero, single-handedly destroyed a loaded and super-talented Brazilian team who were actually the holders of the title at the time. Never in my life had I seen a game like that, and I never would have anticipated that. Brazil were the favorites. France had already defied the odds of beating Spain in the round of 16, and it was unlikely that luck was still there because people were saying France got lucky once. It will not happen again. France did not get lucky in that game. France just got out there, played football, and humiliated humiliated Brazil. 
And Zidane, I had never seen him play. So, I mean, I've seen him play great games, but that game might have been the best game he's, a, he's ever played, period. Never in my life did I ever see fantastic footwork, dribbling, passing, and literally dissecting an opposing team. The Brazilians looked lost and confused, and I can honestly say they crumbled under pressure because it's very rare that Brazilians are put under pressure and they crumble under it. So for France to humiliate and destroy Brazil is a very proud, is a very proud moment for me, especially when my favorite player of all time and my hero does it. So, so there, there you go, go buddy, to our anonymous uh, loyal listener. My favorite World Cup moment is when Zinedine Zidane destroyed Brazil. So now we get to, Steve, we get to Alyssa Nyer's save against the USA, uh, excuse me, against England last year in the semifinals. A lot of drama in that semifinal. A lot of, a lot of people in that tournament felt that the, the real quote-unquote final was in the quarterfinals when um, the U.S. beat a very loaded French team that was playing on home soil. But the game against England was, it was a pretty nervy affair. Um, and, you know, quite a few of these players, uh, they know each other because um, some of the gals with the U.S. team, they, they do play professionally in England. So they know each other quite a bit. Uh, it was a compelling game. And uh, late in the game, I mean, England did have a chance to, to get back into the game on that penalty that was whistled. It was, and, and I want to take a little bit of time to talk about that penalty because the VAR, I mean, that VAR check was, was lengthy. But what we have to understand is that in many situations, if the referee has to double, even triple check, it's understandable because the VAR was created for a reason. It's to verify. And if you have to double verify or triple verify, then so be it because these referees who take the sport seriously, they want to call the game right down the middle. They want to make the right choices. And the speed of the game, it did not look like Becky Sauerbrunn, the American defender, it really did not look like she fouled Ellen White. Now, with the replay slow, it's still hard to tell, but what they were looking for is that if, if Becky had touched Ellen White and she did, in, she did in fact touch her, and that's I guess that's what prompted the referee to award the penalty. Obviously, you know, in those situations, things are going to happen. A defender is probably going to panic. Or I mean, I don't, want to, I don't know if I want to say. If, I don't want. To, I don't know if I want to say Becky panicked. Obviously, she did what she had to do to you know to stop the threat. But England was awarded the penalty, and they failed to convert because Alyssa Nyer made that fantastic save. But there's something that comes to mind. Like what has me scratching my head is why wasn't why wasn't Ellen White the per, the player to take that penalty? I don't know. Now, now my friend. Uh, now people want to know if Ellen White had taken the penalty, could she have converted? Well, it's possible. I I can't say for sure that yes, because she was she's super talented. Ellen White's arguably one of the best you know female soccer players I've ever seen. I'm personally I'm a huge fan of Ellen White. Um, this is just an assumption. If she had taken it, I'm sure me having all the confidence and you know being a huge fan of, of her talent. I'd have been sure that she would have converted it, but it's one of those situations where we'll, we'll never know. But at the same time, even if Ellen White had taken it, I mean, it's, it's anything could have happened because we all remember the semifinal 
back in 2015, uh, Germany versus the USA, Germany was the overwhelmingly favorite. And uh, the German player, when when Julie Johnson took down that German player, and surprisingly she was not given a red card when obviously it could have easily been a red card, Germans awarded the penalty. And that's when Hope Solo did one of the... I don't know how I should describe it. I mean, she obviously kind of delayed it a little bit. Some critics will say she was simply just playing mind games to get to get in the head of Celia Sausage, who was taking the penalty for the Germans. But that's what goalkeepers do. Goalkeepers always want to play mind games to get to get in the head of the adversary who's going to attempt to take a penalty against them. But the point is, anything could have happened, whether it was Ellen White who took the penalty or anybody else. We don't know. I mean... The, the bottom line is, Alyssa Nyer did her job, and she did it in a fantastic fashion, so I have to applaud her for it. It was certainly among the highlights uh, in what was a, a pretty fantastic month for the U.S. women played in really hot, brutal conditions in France for that World Cup. It was, it was fun to watch, and what I should stress to you is that if, if you guys remember when, when Alyssa Nyer made that save... If you look at closely at that game, if you see that, that look of focus that was on her face right before she made the save, that just shows how incredibly talented Alyssa Nyer is as a goalkeeper. I mean, she's tough as hell. Wouldn't want to mess with her. No, definitely not. I mean, you, you remember that game. You, you remember that, that look of concentration that she had, right? Sure. She was literally telling the, the English uh, player, you know, let's see what she got, basically. And Alyssa Nyer, you know, won that fight, so... That's, there's nothing else to say. I mean, the bottom line is, Alyssa and I made the save, and it was the game-winning. It was a game-winning save because uh, it was in the closing minutes. England couldn't capitalize because you know a little bit later their star defender Millie Bright she got sent off for a dangerous tackle tackle against Alex Morgan. Although I really don't think her setting off really had a difference. I just think that England just could not really do anything after that. I mean, they tried, they tried, they tried, but the U.S. was just simply overwhelming. So that's that. Indeed. Well, folks, we close it out. And before we let you go, I have my couple usual announcements for ladies and gentlemen, loyal listeners, loyal followers. First of all, I want to thank you guys very much for tuning into this edition of Into the Net FC, the Soccer Talk segment of the Bear of Texas podcast. I'd like to personally remind you once again, that it's available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Spreaker, and YouTube. If you haven't clicked follow yet, then please go ahead and do so. You can follow me, the Bear of Texas, personally on Twitter. It's at Bearman of Texas TX on Twitter. Twitter. Excuse me, my son is just getting better. Once again, follow me personally at Bearman of Texas TX on Twitter. You can also follow the podcast at Bear Texas underscore podcast. Once again, at Bear Texas TX underscore podcast. And the Bear of Texas podcast is proudly paired with the Playmakers blog. Check out and subscribe to the website, theplaymakersblog.com. One more time, theplaymakersblog.com. You can visit their shop. You will have access to other podcasts associated with the Playmakers blog. Folks, there's plenty for you to listen to. And more importantly, there's more things to look forward to. Steve, thank you so much for coming back. I look forward to having you again. Folks, if you have your requests, 
send to me on Twitter, on my personal page, or my podcast page, and I promise to you, I will deliver. Thank you so much. This is the Bear of Texas coming to you live from deep in the heart of Texas. Have a great week, everybody. Big money on your outdoor project now at Menards. We have everything you need to keep your outdoor power equipment running smooth so you can keep that lawn in tip-top shape or enjoy some time on your boat. Right now, all FVP, lawn and garden, and marine batteries are on sale through May 5th. Check out our entire selection of FVP batteries today and view our weekly flyer on Menards.com for more great deals. Save big money at when you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.